So, it seems like lately we can't escape conversations on the internet that include femininity, divine femininity, masculinity, the manosphere, manly man, red pill, and so on. But you may want to listen to this podcast episode right here to understand what I mean when I say that some of you may want to reflect on your definition of these terms and that a lot of this is socially constructed. But what do I know? And then when people say modern women, typically what they're referring to is working women, which is really ironic because like most women work. (laughs) And that's where I don't understand. Like it's like one is the anti the other but we all need to yes. work in a capitalist society where I need to pay my bills, whether I'm yes. a soft, hard, traditional, modern. Hello. This is But What Do I Know podcast with Chit Suzanne, a space for affirming, for learning, and for healing. A podcast and community where we're exploring our But What Do I Know moments in hopes that it helps you, the listener, overcome yours. You ready? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the But What Do I Know podcast. I'm your host, Chit Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you all to yet another episode, season three, episode two, back in this thing with another episode to help you get through the rest of your week. So before we go any further, if this is your first time tuning in and hearing the sound of my voice, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure that you are you know, liking, commenting, subscribing on whatever platform it is you used to listen to the podcast, especially if those platforms are either Apple Podcast or Spotify. And if you've already been rocking with us, you've already been listening to episodes and you're already in the know. Thank you for continuously listening. And that is also greatly appreciated. All right. So I hope that you're all having a wonderful week. It's still Women's History Month and I've just been enjoying all the different you know, panel discussions that I've been a part of, all the, you know, like Instagram posts, all the different episodes paying homage to women and the progress that we've made. And it's been really nice to take part in these conversations and to also listen. And it's been amazing to just see and understand what other other women think about womanhood and and, and the progress that we've made. So that's been amazing. And speaking of that, this episode is our, you know, But What Do I Know podcast, Women's History Month 2022 edition. Our main segment definitely gets into discussing womanhood and dissecting it and so on. So let's go ahead and get right into our cluing segment so we can get there. All right, so for our Cluent segment this week, I thought I would share a few women-centered projects, books, music that you all can get further into and support, being that this episode, you know, is sort of centering women and we're going to get further into that discussion in our main segment. So I'm going to start with a TV show that I've been enjoying. So alongside Enjoying Bel Air, (laughs) as I'm sure many of you are, 
uh, enjoying the Bel Air reboot. I'm also enjoying a show called Kings of Napa. So Kings of Napa is a soap opera drama TV show. It's produced on the Oprah Winfrey's network's own, produced by Oprah, along with a bunch of other great producers. And it stars two great American, uh, Black American women actresses, Ebony Noel and Yanni King. And I've just been enjoying seeing a story that, you know, highlights Black women luxury, Black women in a different light, showing a successful Black family. You know, we're getting more and more stories relating to Black families such as this. Um, But it's not, I wouldn't say it's quite the norm as of yet, but it's nice to sort of see this alternative when it comes to a storyline about a Black family. And so what happens in the show is this family, they're of course well off, they're really wealthy, they own a winery, and one day their father, the patriarch of the family, passes away. And so they start to uncover a bunch of secrets about their father, about the family, about the aunt, and sort of figure out that their father wasn't who they thought he was. He wasn't this like great man that they had revered him and thought he was. And so they start to cover secrets. They start to, you know, figure out a bunch of things about the family while also trying to, you know, I guess, protect their family's legacy and keep this winery alive and start selling some new wines so they can make some more money. So that's essentially the the main plot. But of course, there are a bunch of twists and turns along the way. The drama is definitely there. The characters, it's some good acting. It's not a very 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 serious show it's very dramatic but there are hints of comedy in there as well so it's a nice a nice show to watch on like a sunday afternoon i would say but yeah that's kings of napa i also thought this was really cool because the scenery for this show is actually filmed in here in ontario canada it was actually filmed on niagara on the lake so if you're canadian you understand what i mean when i say niagara on the lake but yeah the winery that this family owns in the tv show is actually filmed on Niagara Lake. So that's really cool. So yeah, so y'all go ahead and check that out. That is Kings of Napa. All right. So on to a book that I've also been enjoying. I've been getting more into my books and my audiobook bag. I've been trying to, you know, read more for leisure when I'm not working or um or editing and producing this podcast. So I have just finished Wahala by Nikki May. And so for all my fellow Africans, for my fellow Nigerians, you know that Wahala means means trouble. It means problem. <laughs> and that is exactly what is in this book. So essentially in this book, there are three friends. And one day they, you know, stumble across someone who will now be a fourth addition to their friend group. And so at first, we don't know what the connection is between these three friends and this new friend group. And this new member to their friend group. But as the story unfolds, you find out this woman has sort of targeted this particular friend group. She doesn't like them at all. She has a plan to take them down. They go through some really deep arguments, but at the end, they make up and they are okay. So check it out. (laughs) It honestly kind of reminds me of, you know, reading or listening to like an audible reality TV show. It was very, it was the drama that I needed. I felt like I was watching a TV show. So it it was definitely really, really cool. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone formulates a script and wants to turn it into, you know, like a TV or movie series or something. But yeah, that is Wahala by Nikki May. I definitely enjoyed listening to that one. I had the audiobook and it was very, very, very entertaining. So make sure y'all check that out. 
All right, so it's about that time when we get into our song of the week. Like I promised in our last episode, I did say this month we're going to be listening to songs that are, you know, women focused and that have a really positive message for women. So this week we're going to be listening to Woman by Little Sims and Cleo Soul. They're both British artists. Uh, Little Sims is Nigerian British and Cleo Soul is, I believe, half Serbian and Jamaican, but based in the UK. So yeah, let's go ahead and get into this. Listen to the lyrics while you're enjoying this. Like the instrumentalization and the beat is beautiful, but don't let the lyrics get over your head. And then Cleo comes in with a very like angelic voice just singing the, the chorus. Let's go ahead and get into it, y'all. Niger women got the melanin dripping L-O-N-D-O N-C-E girl living in the back looking like fire chili pepper you're a girl tougher than imperial leather he was getting bitter while she was getting better diamonds are forever Miss Sierra Leone looking like a gem works hard in the week party on the weekend know you wanna live with no one watching how you spend got a thing for the finer things and the finer men <laughs> Miss Tanzania she a do or die Says she wanna know more about the Sukuma tribe We hit the zoo, once wasn't enough Got an ocean full of knowledge, you could scuba dive Miss Ethiopia can play so jazzy They see you down to school, you want Selassie Tell them you're nothing without a woman, no Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow Tell them what's up Honeys, know you repping for your country, son. Kissing your brown skin, looking like money. Says she focusing on being an accountant. Cleo's voice. Listen, if I had half of Cleo's voice, <laughs> ooh, I would never shut up, y'all. I'd be singing everywhere. I would be on every stage. And Little Sims flow. I love how she was just mentioning countries and. Ah, made me feel so good to be a black woman. So yeah, you know, y'all make sure you check that out. Support Little Sims and Cleo Soul. Listen to Little Sims's latest project as well as Cleo Soul's latest project as well. Go stream or buy and support these amazing artists. However, you enjoy your music. All right. So we are going to get into our main segment for this episode. I must say, honestly, y'all, I am excited and a little bit nervous for y'all to hear this conversation. I feel like this is one of those conversations that you have to, you might have to listen to it, digest it, and you might find yourself listening to this two, three times, you know, to really take all that was talked about in. But it was such an amazing conversation. And I think it's so, so, so important given the current climate of talking about, you know, femininity and masculinity and just all sort of the noise that goes on. It was nice to have this guest come on and just really explain everything to us from her experience and the work that she does as a sociologist. So without further ado, y'all, let's go ahead and get into our main segment. Today, our main segment is going to be focusing on feminism, womanhood, intersectionality, and all those sort of things. And I am so excited to have this conversation. I've wanted to have this conversation for a little while now, and it is 
Women's Month. So it's this conversation is only fit in. And so to have this conversation with me today, I am joined by Dr. Zemi Umer. She is a researcher, educator, and consultant who holds a PhD from Duke University. She is currently a presidential postdoctoral fellow at Brown University, where she conducts research on gender and on race, gender-based inequalities in institutions. She also teaches at Brown University, teaching the courses Feminist Perspectives in Criminal Justice and Criminal Courts, as well as Law in an Era of Mass Incarceration. Dr. Zimi is also the founder of Aziza Research and Consultant, a firm that partners with small and mid-sized organizations to provide research. Aziza uses these research findings from assessments to provide strategic planning and educational training. So, Zimi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on this episode. <laughs> I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you. I am so excited. I feel like your background and your practice is just so fit in for this conversation. So, you know what? We are going to start with, you know, can you share with us your journey into sociology, into your area of expertise in race and gender, how you sort of embarked on this journey of being an academic as well? And um, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so my journey into sociology is actually kind of a weird one. Um, a lot of people assume I majored in uh, sociology in undergrad, but I was actually like a corporate finance major. <laughs> like that was a whole nother life ago. Um, and then when I graduated, so I'd done a little internship in the finance world and I realized ah, it's not really what I want to do. Um, and I started taking courses and I took a couple of sociology courses and I was like, okay, this in courses in education and like Africana studies. And so I was like, I think this is more like what I'm really interested in. Um, and I've always wanted to teach. Um, so what I ended up doing after I graduated undergrad was I became a high school teacher. They need a math teacher. So I became a high school math teacher, even though I really wanted to teach like social, you know, social sciences and history. Um, but the opening was in math. And so after that, while I was teaching, um, I became really interested in the school to prison pipeline. Um, and so I knew that, you know, even before I, I, I started teaching, I knew that I was always going to go back and like get um, a graduate degree of some sorts. And then I really started thinking about um, doing a doctoral program when I because I'd already got my master's in education while I was teaching. Um, and so when I was trying to decide what I wanted to study, I actually thought I was going to go to grad school to study the school to prison pipeline. So I was trying to decide if I wanted to get an EDD or a PhD. Um, and I remember speaking to someone and they were like, you know, you want to do the broadest thing possible because what you think you come to grad school to study isn't always what you end up studying. And so that's kind of how I decided to go with uh, sociology programs because I was like, all right, I can study the sociology of education. But, you know, if somewhere along the line I change my mind and I don't want to stay, study the school to prison pipeline, I can always, you know, explore something else. And sure enough, <laughs> I got to grad school, started studying the school to prison pipeline, and I realized I was actually way more interested in the criminal justice system as a whole. And so I ended up kind of switching. And so I started studying um, mass incarceration, the carceral state criminal justice system, um, specifically looking at how race and gender impact um, the, the criminal justice system. So that's kind of my, um, that was like my trajectory into uh, becoming a, a sociologist. 
Um, and then after graduate, when I graduated, I went on the job market, didn't really find, get any offers that I wanted to take up. Um, mostly for like distance reasons, like the academic job market is insane. <laughs> if you're ever thinking about going into it, it's, it's wild. Um, and so I got a couple offers on the West Coast or an offer on the West Coast, but I wasn't interested in moving that far. So I ended up applying for postdocs. Luckily, I landed a postdoc at Brown. Um, and so I started there in 2020. And it's a two-year postdoc. So my postdoc ends this June, I believe. Um, and I actually, I, I can say this now, I just signed. Um, I just got um, my first tenure track position at George Washington University in DC. So I'll be starting there. Thank you. I'll be starting there in the fall. And so that will be, this is my first like official uh, academic job. Hmm. Congrats on the position. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, thank you for sharing that. I just, I really wanted to sort of know your journey because I feel like, you know, from looking for a sociologist that was fitted for having this conversation to finding your page mm -hmm. and just seeing your experience and the work that you do. I was like, yeah, she studied education. There's a little <laughs> bit of finance in there. Then she, mm -hmm. you know, ended up doing sociology and now we're focusing on women and gender studies. So I wanted to just mm -hmm. sort of understand the journey. But, you know, your journey sort of shows us that, you know, we plan, we go a certain way and then life things happen and yeah. we switch. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That brings me to my next question is, you know, on this podcast, this is called the But What Do I Know podcast. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're exploring moments where my, you know, myself or our guests have had, you know, But What Do I Know moments, I call them moments where you, you felt like you doubted yourself, <laughs> you questioned, you know, can I really do this? What do I know about gender <laughs> studies? You know, can I keep up with the terms, mm -hmm. all that stuff? So did you ever have, you know, one of those moments and how did you overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I remember, I still remember the very first day of grad school. Um, we were, we, we had to take this like pre-statistics course, um, in preparation for the, st the, the stats course, which tells you everything you need to know. The fact that you need like a, a pre-class before the class. Um, and I remember, um, I remember we had to, in theory, we had to read about, um, Max Weber. And, you know, his name is, his last name is spelled W-E-B-E-R, W-E-B-E-R, right? But it's German. So I'd been like, <laughs> I was like in class, like Max Weber. <laughs> and then another student was like, you know, when it was their turn to comment was like, yeah, Max Weber. <laughs> mm. And, my, and I'm probably saying it wrong. I don't have like the good German accent, but like just little moments where you're like, oh my God, everyone else knows all these things that like, I don't know. And they came so much more prepared. Um, going on the job market, that will, <laughs> that'll humble you real quick. Getting rejections, like, I don't even take rejections seriously now because you get so many of them in grad school. Like if I get rejected from something, I like, I can recover in like five minutes. <laughs> I can, recovery time is so fast because it happens so much as an academic, like your papers are getting rejected, your book manuscripts get rejected and you just have to keep going and going. So yeah, there've been a number of those, <laughs> those instances. Whew, girl. So how <laughs> then did you overcome all those moments where, you know, you're like, I'm going to be found out. I'm not ready for this. 
Yeah. I mean, lucky for me with grad school, I was like, my mom didn't raise no quitter. You know, I'm not going to leave. They don't have to say, I, you know, they have to put me out. And then the other thing I would say about graduate school is that um, you get so many rejections, you just build like a second skin to it. Right. It's literally about through like trial by fire. Right. Like you have no choice but to get over. Right. Because they just keep you, you spend a year working on a paper, you send it out. And in six weeks, somebody gives it back to you and says like, thank you for submitting, but actually this is theoretically unsound and we would never publish it. <laughs> right. They say that in like a really nice way. Right. The first time it happens, it's like jarring. Right. By like time seven, eight, you just like, Oh, Oh, they rejected it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a break and I'll work on it again next week. You know, like, so some of it is just like, you just literally is child by fire. You just have to, if you stick it out long enough, like now I realize like no matter how tough something is, if, if I stick with it long enough, like I'll come out on the other side. So it's, it's brutal, but <laughs> that's how I get through it. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I don't even know what to say because I'm here thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, pursuing graduate studies in the future because mm -hmm. I study a little bit of sociology. Like I minored in sociology, but my focus is more on city studies. So, you mm -hmm. know, things like affordable housing and inequality in cities and um, sort of looking at that intersection of, you know, people are interested in smart cities, but how do we make sure that we're not passing that inequality through technology? You know, like y'all are so worried about metaverse, but we haven't figured out how to be nice to each other on land. Now you want to take mm -hmm. that to the digital space. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking at this and <laughs> from hearing you say, you know, it's just trial by fire and you just got to keep at it and not quit it. It yeah. really shows you the amount of hard work that there is to be done in graduate studies and in academia. And yeah, no, mm -hmm. I, I salute you for the work that you're doing. It's incredibly important. Yeah. I know it's hard work. I know you probably would have quit, girl, but we need you. But so <laughs> I love grad school for like half a year one time. <laughs> I just I, I up left and like was just floating through like living in different places just I was like I'm done <laughs> this is like year three I think going into year four I was just like I'm done I I can't but you 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 know everyone ha everyone has those moments you eventually pick yourself up and you like you know you'll keep going so I feel like if it's something you're interested in you should definitely like mm. pursue it it's difficult but I also want to say it's very doable I think People try to convince people that like getting a PhD is like this, it's this unreachable, unreachable, unattainable thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think because it helps, it makes the people who feel it, who have it feel better, right? Like I did this thing that's virtually impossible. It's actually really not. <laughs> like I want, especially black women listening to this, it really is not d impossible, difficult, yes. But black women, we do a lot of difficult, like women in general do a lot of really difficult things, so. It's very doable. Yes. And look at the segue. That was perfect. She talked about, you know, <laughs> black women, we could do anything. And, you know, it is currently Women's History Month. So, Dr. Zimmy, what does womanhood or being a woman mean to you? Let's get into our conversation starting this way. You know, it's something I'm still kind of like trying to work through myself, right? I've been listening to and reading a lot about, you know, scholars who are talking about undoing the very concept of gender. Um, and I didn't really think about like, you know, I like to believe like I'm one of those people where like these social constructs mean nothing to me. Like I, you know, I'm above it. I, 
But like in, in being in conversations now with like these younger scholars who are like out here putting forth these super interesting theories and ideas about like why the 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 concept of gender needs to be completely like, de- you know, destructed. It's really made me kind of sit and think um, more about like what what does I, I don't know that I ever even gave it that much thought. Right. Like I, I critique it as, as, you know, this part of this social institution. But I don't know that I really spend much time thinking about like what my womanhood means to me. Um, I think more about like what it means to other people, right? Like, you know, how it was socially constructed. And I think maybe because I understand how the sausage was made, right? Like I, it doesn't really, it means something to me, but it doesn't mean that much to me, right? Like I I do, I am able to have a certain amount of separation, right? Like, I guess the best answer I could give you is like womanhood means to you whatever you want it to mean, (laughs) right? Like it, it, you know, like people try to make it into this like very fixed thing, but the reality is they're like women all around the world who are like leading very different lives and, you know, showing up in spaces very differently. And they're all existing in their womanhood if they, you know, if that's what they choose to like identify with or identify as. And so like, there is no fixed definition, right? Like what, what my womanhood means to me, virtually nothing, right? But what it could mean to you, it could be something completely different, right? And I think I'm at the point where I'm like, it can mean drastically different things to different people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You're honestly, that, I feel like that's exactly where I am now. That and this added layer of I am more aware of my choices and I'm exercising mm-hmm. my choices. I think, absolutely. you know, when I was sort of younger and coming of age and I really saw womanhood and we'll get into this, but, you know, femininity and all that through mm-hmm. one lens. I really thought, you know, you do this, you do that, you're you're walking, yeah. you know, and now I'm like, you know what, I don't even really care about that, you know, and <laughs> and OK, I cared about this portion, but it's because I really have come to attribute this to part of who I am and it's an internal yeah. thing. So I honestly, and you know what, you're right, because womanhood and, and what being a woman to mm-hmm. me isn't something that I sit around and contemplate all day. I'm sorry. I'm There's so much going on. <laughs> we got to pay bills. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So Honestly, I, I definitely like, hear you who, on that. It's not something I think most people give much thought to unless they feel like it's it's under attack. Mm-hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden people want to have these very like rigid definitions of what womanhood is and how you enact it um, when they feel like they have to protect it, <laughs> you know, in some way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it can mean to people whatever they want it to mean. Absolutely. Okay, so before we go any further into this conversation, I want us to discuss a couple of terms to mm-hmm. help listeners have a better idea of what these terms mean um, to, yeah. and also to clear off some perceptions that may have been skewed by mainstream media and by conversations that are being had on the internet from people who do not have the language to, to define these terms. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is feminism. Dr. Mm, Umer, okay. what would your definition be for this? So I'm going to give you the definition, like literally off the PowerPoint for um, <laughs> one of the classes I teach where in the first week we do this deep dive into like feminism. 
And I, I would say that the three things that are really important to understand is that like feminism is not a unitary theory, right? So what that means is that there are multiple perspectives can fall under the umbrella of feminism, right? Because sometimes people like to make it into this thing that's like very rigid, right? Um, but it's really not. But the one thing that um, feminism does uh, encompass is that it really is about um, a set of assumptions about what the sources of gender inequality and, and women's oppression or gender marginalized groups, like what the source of their um, inequality and oppression are. Right. So it's just a, it's a set of theories aimed at kind of pinpointing, like, what's the source of inequality? What's the source of oppression when it comes to gender? OK, so looking at the source of oppression and inequalities mm-hmm. when it comes to gender. Okay, I like that. Yeah. And I think that that's broad enough to encompass whether you're looking at sexual repression, whether you're looking at inequality mm-hmm. in the workplace. So like it's broad enough that it covers all the, your, all the discussions that we could potentially have as it pertains to, to gender. Okay. Yeah. And there are different forms, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like radical feminism. Exactly. There's socialist feminism. There's black, like I identify as a black feminist, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so there's not, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. Okay. That actually brings us to the next uh, definition, intersectionality. As we mentioned, you have different forms of feminism. And this is where, you know, we've heard this term uh, being used a lot is in, is in um, conversations pertaining to feminism. You hear intersectionality and intersectional feminism come into play. So what Mm -hmm. does that, what does that mean? Yeah. So like intersectionality is like a, a a framework that allows us to understand how systems of inequality based on different uh, social markers um, intersect to create like unique effects for people who are experiencing them. And so what I mean by like different social markers are like things like gender, race, uh, um, sexual orientation, disability, nationality, class, etc. So we're thinking about the ways that systems of inequalities are based on these different markers and what happens at the intersection of these markers. Um, mm. Like, how does it impact um, individuals? Okay. Your, your definitions are really, they're straight to the point. They're good. They're accessible. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> this one. Uh, this has been just buzzing all over the interwebs. Uh, femininity <laughs> and masculinity, because the people... Just can't stop talking mm-hmm. about these two these days. So can you just help us you know. define femininity and yeah, masculinity <laughs> as you see them? <laughs> so femininity uh, and masculinity are essentially a, a set of characteristics that are generally or typically associated with either men or women. Um, and so what that means, I think the most important thing that people should take away is that it's completely socially constructed. <laughs> right? Like they're it's just a, it's a series of traits that we associate with people who we think of as men or people who we think of as women. Um, oftentimes people talk about it as if it's like a real thing, like these are inherent or biological traits. They are not inherent. They are not biological. They're socially constructed. And to some extent, um, completely made up to, to, to meet the needs, right, of certain, certain uh, segments of society, right? So when people say like, Women are, femininity is, um, you know, means you're more nurturing. Yeah, it's because people want women to take care of kids, right? <laughs> it's not because there's a more nurturing, like, gene that you find in women. It's because, like, women are socialized to, like, be caregivers and caretakers, right? Um, so 
that's why to me, like deconstructing some of these ideas that people think of as like inherent or biological and really getting people to understand like they are not, they are social constructions, which means we have the ability to reject them, move away from them, you know, et cetera. So then how does this sort of tie into the the definitions of sex and gender? Because when I was sort of looking into this and my my understanding from research is that sex is tied to our sort of biology, right? And then gender Mm -hmm. is, again, like you mentioned, socially constructed and it's our presentation and our performance. Is that is that accurate? Is Is that am I understanding that correctly or is there? Yeah. I mean, so, so sex kind of is the either it's like the biological or physiological um, traits that we associate with males or females. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about things like hormones, uh, you know, reproductive organs, chromosomes, et cetera. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, to some extent, some people will say you might include genitalia, et cetera. That's sex. Right. Um, Gender refers to, um, uh, a, a set of like social constructions um, in um, in norms associated with different sexes, right? So, th- and we this this gets complicated when people are talking about things like um, uh, like when we're talking about like transgendered individuals, right? And mm-hmm. someone will say, "This person was born a man." It's like, well, it's, it's impossible to be born, <laughs> born a man, right? Like that is something that. It's not necessarily, um, it's not just a performance. Like, I don't want to reduce it to just a performance, right? Right. But, like, manhood is a a social constructed. It's impossible for any human being to be born a man and or a woman, right? What is possible is for people to be assigned a particular sex depending on uh, certain, you know, depending on how certain things about them present, like their hormones, their, you know, their reproductive organs, their genitalia, etc., Someone else can assign that person a sex, right? But it's impossible for, for someone to be born a man or mm-hmm. a woman, right? It's only possible for someone to be assigned um, uh, male sex or female sex or intersex um, at birth. Okay, thank you for thank you for explaining that because, like you said, that's where a lot of people confuse sex and gender mm-hmm. when they have these mm-hmm. these discussions. Um, okay, the final terms that I want us to sort of discuss before we get further into this is, um, and this is, you know, a point of contention, a point of great discussion. Um, this is traditional versus modern oh, women. God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my take on this is this is something that came that comes directly out of like the manosphere. I don't know how familiar you are with like the manosphere uh the MGTOW, um, I don't even want to point people in that direction. So I'll just leave it there. Yeah. But <laughs> the idea, which is completely ridiculous, are that like traditional women are women who are submissive, you know, um, you know, they want to be um, benefactors of benevolence, uh, sexism. Um, you know, they, they, they want their man to take the lead, you know, they're the neck and their man is the head, you know, all, all that stuff, right? Like that. that no, I'm dead. <laughs> That's what people consider like traditional uh, uh, womanhood. And then when people say modern women, typically what they're referring to is working women, which is really ironic because like most women work. (laughs) And that's where I don't understand. Like it's like one is the anti the other. But we all need to work in a capitalist society where I need to pay my bills, whether I'm a soft, hard, traditional, modern 
hello. So, so what it essentially boils down to is like women who are willing to be submissive and like we can mm-hmm. unpack that. I don't know if you want to versus like women, modern women are women who, you know, because of their, their role in the workplace have lost their ability to be like submissive to men in the way that they should be. These are not my ideas. <laughs> I wholly reject these ideas, but that that is like the, the working definition based on the, the, the internet. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the internet's be saying. Okay, so I'm glad we got these out of the way now. So let's let's sort of dive deeper. You know, we now understand what what the working definitions or what people conceive traditional versus modern women to be. Mm-hmm. I think right now there seems to be heightened discussions and heightened questioning and debates about different ways of identifying as a woman. I think I think there's just so much questioning. There's so much debating. There's so much confusion, if I will. Mm-hmm. So what do you currently think about this this time that we're in right now where it seems like there's this femininity movement that wants to almost pose itself as the I shouldn't say itself it's not a it's not, it's not a thing but <laughs> <laughs> like pose as sort of the the anti-feminist movement and there's this sort of you know you're either feminine mm-hmm. women or you're feminist and this idea that they're mutually exclusive and and then again what I'm not liking is we can have these discussions, but a lot of these discussions are being had in proximity to, okay, how do you look to a man? How does a man perceive you if you're, if you're you know, um, perceived to be a feminine woman versus a feminist and, and vice versa? So, yeah, mm-hmm. what do you sort of think about this time that we're in right now? <laughs> you know, I recently heard a friend of mine, um, Coco, say this quote that really has stuck with me. But um, she essentially said, like, womanhood was created by men. And the sooner that women realize that, the better off we'll all be. Um, and it, like, really just, I was like, ding, 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 that, that, that's the part, right? Um so, uh, you know, what I think about all the, the, the debating and the, you know, questioning around, um, you know, who gets to be a woman, how women perform their gender. Um, I think that for me, there are only a, a couple of things that I, I know to be like fact, right? One is that womanhood is, should not be boiled down to like biological essentialism, right? And what I mean by that is there are people who say, well, like, I'm a woman because I can have children. And I can, you know, have a menstrual cycle and I have this genitalia, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And they say it as a way to kind of exclude women who um, maybe don't have one or all of those aspects. Um, And I really want both women and men who engage in that type of language to be mindful of how like problematic that kind of language is. Um, Because what it does is it sums up what a, a woman's value Right. To essentially like what, what they can, who they are or what, what they're able to provide physiologically or biologically. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like really, that's really a problem. Right. All women, like, and I'm not a geneticist or a biologist to like really get into like the, the details, but one is it, it, it assumes that like there are only two genders, right? Like 
but we know the gender is much more than binary, right? Like even just by the mere fact that like intersex people exist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like basic, but like you can get into some like way more complex stuff, right? When it comes to uh, uh, um, sex, you know, and and, um, uh, chromosomes, et cetera, right? But the the real challenge with reducing womanhood down to like your biological essentialism is that it reduces the the value of women down to what they're able to do biologically or, you know, physiologically. Right. And so for particularly for women who engage in that kind of language as a way to like gatekeep womanhood from other women, Mm. um, (laughs) I want to be mindful that like you also devalue yourself, like when you, you know, engage in those kind of conversations. And I think for the men who like particularly <laughs> love, uh, you know, having these very rigid and fixed ideas of womanhood is, I think part of it is that men want to re- limit womanhood to like the type of womanhood that's worked for them, right? Like there, there's a reason why like w- women were con- socially constructed in a very particular way, right? To be more mm-hmm. docile, to be caregivers, um, you know, to be, to be, you know, the ones that the rare children and, you know, more nurturing, right? Like think of all the different attributes and characteristics that are um, ascribed to like womanhood or to, to women, right? And the ways in which they're beneficial for the people who created these definitions. And so I think that both men and women should be like, keep that in mind, right? Like, especially women, when you're taking on some of these, these things about like, well, I'm a feminine woman and I'm resting in my femininity and yada, yada. Think about who created these ideas, what they were created for and what your participation in them um, allows, you know, the maintenance of, right? Because your performance of femininity or womanhood directly impacts um, that, that pay gap, (laughs) right? Like, like when, or let me not say it didn't create the pay gap, right? But what you're doing is being complicit in that system right? when you act as if women aren't as logical and can't be as assertive, right? And all these other traits that are valued in the labor market, right? When you remove yourself from them by virtue of like defining yourself as like feminine and these are the traits I have. You also like you're causing, you're, you're being complicit in a system that was designed to essentially be like harmful towards you. That was very convoluted, but I hope <laughs> I hope no, no, I got across some I got of what you. I was trying to get I across. got you. I got you. And I I, I get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and this is obviously such a complex conversation, which is why I have you on here. Because where I stand on this is, you know, like women do do whatever works for you and your particular situation. But mm-hmm. just be careful as you have these conversations that one, like you said, we're not being complacent. We're not being harmful. We're really understanding where some of these things stem from, right? So the next sort mm-hmm. of point I wanna I wanna discuss with you is this idea and and this I'm I'm really conflicted on, right? Because there's mm-hmm. this history of black women not being allowed to be feminine because femininity throughout history has been defined, you know, by white women, white feminism, in proximity to whiteness mm-hmm. and so on, right? And so there's this trend, you know, black women in luxury. Girls want to live the soft mm-hmm. life, you know, <laughs> baby girl lifestyle. I get it. Right. And it's, it's sort of this idea of, you know, we have not been allowed to be feminine and soft and you've posed us as these strong black women and hyper masculine. So to resist that, we are claiming our femininity. Right. So that I, I understand. 
Mm-hmm. What's your sort of take on that? Do you see that as potentially being harmful as well? I get it. I want to live the soft life too. Girl, right? me too. I, <laughs> I get it. I love seeing a little black woman in a luxury Instagram post. And I always say, this is my take on it, right? To start, I always say it's harmful, but that's not the hill I'm going to die on, right? So there are women who are like super invested in critiquing like black women in luxury and like, you know, the women who want to like, I'm rest, I'm living the soft life, right? And I wholeheartedly understand why they are giving the critique they're giving. For me personally, given all the other things that are happening in the world, that's not the hill that I want to die on. <laughs> but it is a valid critique, right? And I would say that the reason why, why it's a valid critique, right, this tension between feminism and femininity is that a lot of the stuff that comes out of this kind of like feminine, femininity movement, right, like if we're thinking about, for instance, Black women in luxury, it completely goes counter like to ideas, you know, of, uh, of feminism, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking, for instance, about like capitalism, right, and like mm-hmm. exploitation on, on a global level, what does your black women in luxury movement mean if it doesn't really account for like the people who have to be exploited for you to be in the position that you're in? Right. So like, that's why I mean, like it's, it's a, it's a very valid critique. Right. Or if your idea is like, if your idea of femininity reaffirms ideas about um, uh, uh, gender roles that are essentially harmful mm-hmm. to women, right? Or mm-hmm. that can be harmful to women or that can be oppressive to women um, or lead to the marginalization of women, then it's a valid, then people critiquing your ideas of femininity like are valid, right? Because you're ultimately being complicit, right? Or you're adhering to like certain things that are harmful to not just you, but to like other women, mm-hmm. right? Like when we say like, oh, women are innately nurturers, right? Um, then it doesn't allow us to, you know, critique the ways in which like women are penalized in the labor market when they become mothers or it doesn't allow mm-hmm. us to crit- critique the unequal distribution of like um, labor in the domestic sphere, right? Like women end up being the ones that do all the, all the child rearing and all the caregiving in the home, right? And it tends, even though they're working, <laughs> right? Because your idea of femininity doesn't account for the fact that these women are now working 40 hour weeks, but still coming home and being fully responsible for like what goes on in the household, right? Because you're trying to uphold this idea of like a woman's place is to be the nurturer and the, so like, that's why I, I hundred percent understand why people, people are so like people, women who are feminists are critical, right? Of the, of the femininity (laughs) movement, right? Because it, it, it affirms ideas that ultimately end up being pretty destructive um, for women and other gender marginalized folks. But is it the hill I'm going to die on in terms of like where I want to direct my critiques? No, that, that, <laughs> Girl, <laughs> if nah. it comes up, I'll address it. Yeah, but I'm not like, I'm not going to be under your your post of you in, um, where, where's the place, Seychelles or wherever. I'm not, I'm not going to be under your post like, girl, did you know who had to suffer for you to? No, that's, that's not going to be my hill. <laughs> Honestly, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I think when we start to really dig deep into the theories and we start to pick them apart, it's a it's a hill or it's a hole. If you want to look at it, we keep digging and we keep digging. It's like, at what point do we do we sort of stop and say, you know what, let me just enjoy life 
do the best yeah. that I can do. <laughs> and you know, do you you know what I mean? So I, I completely I understand. Do, but I, I get the other side too, where it's like, but that enjoyment of life comes at the expense of right, someone. someone and if else. you're not doing the work to deconstruct it, then yeah. so I, 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 and they don't yeah, have it, it's, you're right, and they don't get the privilege to say, yeah, let me live my life. I get mm-hmm. it. Ah, oh, this life. And I didn't ask for this, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to live the soft life. Look, me too. I just, I want to, I want to live, you know, in luxury and live the soft life. <laughs> <sighs> and and the thing is too, especially for black women, it's like, I, I want us to, you know, when we get into things like, you know, financial literacy and, and being, mm-hmm. being financially independent and being happy and living fulfilled lives. It's like, you know, I want all that for us. But then when you look at this other aspect of it, it's like, oh, yeah. it, it comes at a cost. <laughs> You're right. It does. Um, so I was talking to a friend who's also a listener of this of this podcast. And, you know, she has, she is, and I'm, I'm not going to say her name. I don't want to put her business out there. But she is a dark-skinned Black woman who's also, you know, big-bodied as well, right? And so mm-hmm. in having this conversation on, you know, femininity, masculinity, so on, she finds that she's often challenged by men that you know maybe she comes across as you know being hyper masculine or mm. or oh mm. i don't want to i don't want to date you because you're dark skin or so and so and and i just you know she finds that men are just very dismissive and i'm i'm bringing this up because i know you're you're familiar with how these conversations can go when you're not having it in a controlled environment like we're doing a, on a podcast right now you know you, mm-hmm. you have so, similar conversations um, on clubhouse right so, oh God. <laughs> yeah. so do you have tools or are there certain strategies that as women are sort of having these conversations with men, how to approach these sort of conversations when you're being challenged, you know, with these binaries like, oh, you're, you're being too masculine or da, 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 or, you know, my back in my day, my mom worked three jobs, catered for my dad, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Are there certain tools or strategies to sort of approach these conversations before we just shut it down altogether and say, listen, I'm going to go rest and I don't have time for this. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, staying grounded and rooted in like a feminist perspective um, and knowing the literature and the theory allows me to deconstruct those arguments like really, really easily. Right. Um, Mm. Feminism, black feminism particularly allows for such like a sharp, you know, directed critique of, you know, of some of this, right? So like if I'm having a conversation with someone about, um, you know, the masculinization of, you know, black women, I can go all the way back to like, well, let's talk about how like black women were, how black womanhood was initially constructed, right? Let's talk about the the ungendering of both black women and black men, right. For the purposes of chattel slavery, right. Like we can, you know, like, so I think there is a value as, as horrible as clubhouse is, there is a value (laughs) to being able to like engage in these discussions and be able to like pull all of the, the knowledge that I have, right. About the construction of blackness, the construction of womanhood, gender, you know, sexuality, et cetera, um, and be able to bring that to these conversations. Um, Because sometimes people just be talking just to say stuff, right? Like, you know, people will just be like, well, let me tell you what I think. And it's like, that's great. That's that's what you think. But what I actually have here is a series of scholarship, right? And a whole host of data and evidence that would suggest that what you think might actually be incorrect, right? And I feel like that 
for me has been a really useful way to like approach these conversations is to be like, what does the theory say? What does the data say? That's what we're, you know, we're going to have a, 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 a intellectual discussion on the basis of that, right? We're not going to get into like your personal beliefs or my personal beliefs. Like they have to be founded, you know, in, in something ta- and like research that's tangible. Um, and I recognize that that's not something that's accessible uh, for accessible for everyone. Um, and, and, and I think that for, I don't know that I have a, a great, I think accessing conversations like this may be better for other people, you know, like so everyone's too. not going to have like, yeah, this is what I do for a living. I have time to like find books and read them and talk about them. And then like force my students to read them and talk about it with me <laughs> and talk about it with me in class. And, you know, but for other people, it may be like digesting stuff like this podcast, right? It could mm-hmm. be like watching some of the, like they're great conversations on YouTube that I listen to all the time. Um, I'm thinking of like the grapevine, com- you know, like there, there's times where I'll just be on YouTube and I'll be like, oh, that's a really interesting take or that's a great perspective, right? So you don't always need like all the extra scholarship. You can, there are more accessible ways where you can get it like via podcast, YouTube, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But follow good people, like follow, you know, like this podcast, there's things I can recommend. Like, cause you know, you can also find Kevin Samuels on YouTube. (laughs) Yes, girl, we don't want you to end up there. (laughs) There, yeah, there's that. So don't just listen to anything. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I sort of want to end off this segment by just, asking you this question and you may not even have the full answers this is just you know more of an abstract question is you know how do you think that women should approach this time that we're in you know as we question as we figure out am i the feminine women woman am i feminist am i a balance am i hybrid am i traditional am i modern you know um as women sort of approach this time of these sort of seemingly heightened debates and questioning Mm -hmm. how do they how, how are they able to exercise discernment to say, listen, I'm hearing all this, but this is what I know I am. This is what I feel. This is what my research is saying. And this is just who I am to be able to discern what's best for them and their specific situation and their life path. Oh, that's a hard one. Right. Hard because one. I um, might be here in a clubhouse room and I'm hearing a really great intellectual conversation about, you know, the feminist movement. And, and how it's great. But I might be a woman who really does want to just cook clean and take care of my husband when he comes <laughs> home and, and accept the Gucci that he's buying me. And Shout out to you, girl. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, nothing wrong with a little Gucci, girl. <laughs> um. Right? So, so how, how do we sort of discern that? Um, I would say... And, and this work, this works for me. I don't know if it'll work for other people, but like be mindful about who gets left behind. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, I'm moving forward. Right. But if there's something about the way that I'm moving forward, which is going to cause other people to be left behind, maybe it's not something you have to change. Right. But maybe it's a moment to pause and think about and reflect on it. Right. So like, does my adherence to this like hyper femininity and like, you know, like, does that who gets left behind in that in that conversation? Right. Who gets further marginalized? Right. And is that my is that what I want to be doing? And sometimes the answer is, yes. Yeah, sometimes I do things and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm gonna do it anyway. All right. But like just at least having that moment to like 
really pause and think about and also ask yourself, like, who created this idea and who does it serve? Right. Like really think maybe those are the three questions. Who created this idea? Who does it serve and who gets left behind? Mm. And if you can answer those three things and you feel comfortable with those, you know, those answers, then like, yeah, maybe you can move forward. Right. But I, I find for me sometimes and I like and it's not even me when other people force me to pause and like think about it. Like I, there was recently a conversation on Clubhouse, the, the Devil's Playground about um should women, should black women only date college educated men, right? And I like came in like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I only want to date men with a degree and not, right? And it, it was some deep interrogation that like some of my sisters had to do for me to be like, okay, but who gets left behind when you like approach dating that way? Mm. And in the, in the midst of it, I was like, I don't care. I'm going to date who I want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to do what I want to do, right? But it, it starts the ball rolling, right? And you start like, you know, I'm not at the place where I've changed that yet, but like, I'm more conscious of it now. And I'm starting to think about like, where did that idea come from? Like, who does that benefit when I, I think this way? And like, who do I leave behind when I do? Like, I'm starting to think about that. So yeah, no, I had yeah. a similar conversation. I think I've been in a lot of clubhouse rooms that have <laughs> had a similar topic and it made me think mm-hmm. too because I, i'm 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 a similar way to that but recently i feel mm-hmm. like that has been gradually getting deconstructed in my mind and we're working on it so yeah. thank you yeah. thank you for those three questions i'm definitely <laughs> gonna highlight those you know when this episode comes out so that listeners can really digest those questions that's really really poignant and just so important um so before i switch segments a little bit i'm gonna leave the floor to you if there's any final thing you want to add to this conversation um yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, I just, for me, the most important thing is that like black people um, and those who are most marginalized amongst us be like liberated. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have yeah. to approach, I approach things in a way that's like, what does this do for the, the, those who don't have, you know, cause even as a black woman, I know this is hard for some of us to acknowledge, but there are some privileges, right? I'm also like an educated black woman. I'm a middle-class black woman, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Right. Absolutely. So I'm always thinking about like, you know, who, who, who am I leaving behind? Mm-hmm. That's always the question. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all that you shared, all the gems that you <laughs> dropped and just for making us think beyond what you know <laughs> we may have been previously thinking um so this is the but what do i know podcast so part of that is you know wanting to get to know more about our guests and getting to know a different Ooh. side of our guests so i'm gonna ask you four <laughs> fun questions and without thinking okay. too hard i just want to know the answer okay real quick okay okay this first one might trip you up a little bit but uh If you could recreate your own version of Mount Rushmore, who would be on there and why? (laughs) Ooh, Lauren Hill. Is it three people on Mount Rushmore? Four. Three. Four. Oof. Lauren Hill. Mm -hmm. Oprah. Mm -hmm. Don't fight me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, 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 oh. Steve Biko. And ah, I'm struggling with the last one. My mom. That's so corny. My mom. Yikes. Okay. And, and, and why? Is there like a, a unifying theme for all these individuals? Um, the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill is my favorite album of all of time. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I can find a song to pull from. I grew up on Oprah. I know our auntie be doing some problematic things from time to time. You Don't know. fight me. But <laughs> Oprah, she half raised me. 
my mom actually raised me. Um, and Steve Biko's I Write What I Like is one of my favorite books. Mm, um, I, I just, I, like. I think his, his approach to like uh, political revolution is, you know, something that I think people should like check that out. Mm, okay, I'll check that out. It's it's a book you said. Mm-hmm. I write what I like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I'll write definitely what I like. Checking that out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Next question. So you close your eyes and you can instantly teleport to anywhere in the world. Where would you be going? The Maldives. Oh, girl, <laughs> bring me along with you. <laughs> See how I got caught up in Black Woman in Luxury? Y'all be posting all these like you know clear boat Seychelles, Maldives, <laughs> Bali. <laughs> <sighs> Y'all got me. I said, God, change yeah, my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay. Um, what is your go-to dance move when you hit the dance floor? <laughs> you know, the pretend twerk, but yeah. I stop. You, you ever seen that with like how um bougie girls twerk where yeah. you're like, stop it. <laughs> that's my ultimate go-to. <sighs> Okay. Um, <laughs> final question. Dinner with any two people, dead or alive, who would it be? Mm, dinner with any two people. Dang. Uh, Tupac? No. <laughs> I don't really want to have... I don't want to have dinner with Tupac. Oh, Issa Rae. Okay, Issa Rae is one. That is an incredible answer. Issa Rae. And damn, is there anyone else I like really like like that? Sorry, I'm trying to think of someone dead who yeah. I, I would have loved to know. Damn, there's so many like, oh, this is so corny. I don't want to say it. I was going to say like Harriet Tubman. Yeah, Issa Rae and Harriet Tubman. Yeah, why yeah, not? I'm going to go with that. Harriet, yeah. Harriet, were there any ones you had to leave Harriet. behind? I wanted that. I That's the question. I want to know like, because that's a real like question. Like as someone who's thinking about like revolutionary, like how do you decide who you, who has to be left behind? <laughs> and I just feel like as a woman in that time period, like to be, I, I don't know, like just, I just want to like hear her stories. I don't even have any questions. I would just sit there and, yeah. And I feel like Issa Rae, me and her could just like, just kiki, yeah. <laughs> you know, for sure. Oh, that's amazing. You had really good, mm-hmm. qu- really, really, really good answers to these questions. <laughs> okay. Well, those are mm-hmm. all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Zimmy, for being on this episode. Before I let you go, just go ahead and share with the listeners your socials where people can find you and connect with you and your work. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Zimmy, Z-I-M-I-522. Don't do too much because I will block and remove you. Um, you can also find me on uh, my podcast with uh, two other fantastic women, Asia Hodges um, and Vitami, and it is called the Ain't I a Woman podcast. Um, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple, wherever. Um, yeah, those are the two places you can find me. Okay, that is amazing. Thank you again for being on this episode. I appreciate you. And this will not be our last conversation, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. So we're at the end of this episode. Thank you all for tuning in and for listening to my conversation with Dr. Zimmy on defining womanhood for ourselves and just breaking down a lot of these terms that fly around that people don't often have the language to really explain, you know, things like the manosphere, femininity, feminism, 
and so on. I honestly enjoyed having this conversation and I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. On that note, be sure to keep the conversation going on our socials on Twitter and Instagram at BWDIK Podcast. Feel free to share this podcast episode with someone you feel will enjoy listening to it. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, and commenting on whatever platform it is you use to listen to the podcast, especially if that is Apple Podcast or Spotify. Take care of yourself as always. Drink your water, mind your business, and you will all hear from me real soon. All right, bye for now. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.